Welcome to another episode of Health Creators. This is Liv, and I'm joined here today with Amisha, founder and CEO of Clicks. Today, we are going to be discussing how ADHD can be a secret superpower. But first of all, Amisha, can you give us your elevator pitch on Clicks? Yeah. So the problem that we have at the moment and that we're seeing um, in general is that ADHD diagnosis is incredibly qualitative and reporting on it differs between lots of different parties. So teachers, parents, doctors have different opinions on um, the symptoms and the presentations of ADHD. So what we're trying to do with CLICS is provide a more quantitative method of recording data to provide more weight to an ADHD diagnosis um, in, in, in lots of different ways. Uh, so Misha, you're currently in medical training can you tell us a little bit more about what ADHD actually is and how it impacts our brains? Yeah, so there's three main things that are associated with ADHD. So those are hyperactivity, inattention, and in impulsivity. Um, and so lots of people may present with symptoms of each of those traits in general in their daily lives. Um, but what differentiates ADHD from just people in general, like suffering with hyperactivity or like not being able to concentrate on their exams or studying, is that it has a significant impact on your daily life. So it might affect your diet, it might affect your relationships with people, it might affect your ability to study in a really like chronic, significant way. What, why is that? Um, so we're not exactly sure on the biomechanics because it can present... so. With a lot of mental health um, conditions, the way that it presents on a biochemical level can vary significantly. Interesting. And so sometimes you might not actually see any any differences, for example, on scans. And in, in general, you won't because there is so little research in that field. It's more yeah. looking at how does it affect someone's daily life and how do they feel? Um, so there's no kind of underlying scientific evidence weird or test yeah so so we diagnose it based off of like behavior but there's no actual um like physiological change that causes exactly ADHD. yeah exactly so there's no yeah. test that we can do to say like a hundred percent this person yeah. has adhd and so for that reason um it's that like the difference in diagnosis between clinicians can be very different um, and that's a massive area of research as well, is that if you take one person to five different psychiatrists, often they will not all give you the same diagnosis. Interesting. So do you see ADHD almost like an umbrella term? And then people kind of like anyone who has any difficulties with those topics just kind of get like bucketed into the ADHD group, but it could actually be different problems within. Yeah. I think, so I don't think ADHD in itself is an umbrella term. So what you'd say is an umbrella term is something like attention deficit. Yeah. So you'd say somebody's struggling with attention, what's the cause for it? With ADHD in particular, it first presents in childhood. So a big part of the diagnosis yeah. is saying that um, somebody, like people have to show that they were presenting with these symptoms when yeah. they were children. It can't just be something that has started up as an adult they have to in most cases yeah. always have it yeah so so when we're looking at people who have ADHD it's usually have you had this problem since you were a child exactly and so when we're looking at adult ADHD um often you have to give collaterals from somebody mm. who's known you as a child so a teacher or a parent um who can uh, like corrob corroborate what you're what you're saying about yeah. what you were like and because reporting what obviously like reporting what you were like as a four-year-old or a five-year-old is pretty difficult I don't know if most of us can remember but and do you find a lot of um individuals develop ADHD or that's not the case um it's I I, I don't think that's possible um there are other disorders like ADD or sometimes people who develop anxiety or other mental health disorders, they can present with symptoms yeah. of attention deficit. So I wouldn't say they would present with symptoms of ADHD as ADHD is a condition, but they might struggle with hyperactivity or inattention. 
Yeah. But, but they might not necessarily have ADHD. But if there's no physiological change that causes ADHD, do you not see it as a mental health disorder? In mental health disorders in general, yeah. there's not a lot of evidence that there are physiological changes um, that we can see with the research that has yeah. been done so far. Um, so, so yeah, I would say it's a mental health disorder. Um, but why wouldn't it not be able to develop into adulthood then? So it's a mental health disorder that's yeah. like that that only presents that only starts in childhood rather than starts later in life. Like there there can't be like a traumatic event that causes you to now have ADHD. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of medicine in general is like we we try and section off conditions. So we say this condition presents like this, and this type of person would have had it since they were a child. So it's not yeah. something that is developed. Um, I think, so it's kind of a way of saying this is how we would categorize this condition. Yeah. Um, rather than saying, because there's not a lot of conditions that are rooted in the physiology, right? Mm. So it's not like we say, so for example, acute coronary syndrome. Yeah. Like heart attacks and MIs. Um, well, heart attacks are MIs, but... Um, we, we would categorize that by a subset of symptoms. We yeah. wouldn't say like physiologically, this is what has to be happening for it to be this. We would just umbrella term it like that. Um, so going back to what you were saying about, um, it's not something that can be um, developed. Um, so there, 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 you can have like kind of exacerbation. So you can have like difficult, periods yeah and easier periods for people with ADHD and the reason why people don't necessarily present with it as children or you might not present with symptoms is one because it is a spectrum and two because the you you might not have ever been in a situation where you've had to push yourself mentally towards kind of symptoms presenting so for a lot of people they go into adulthood and they go into like university which is the first time that a lot of them yeah. really start to struggle academically um and then they realize hang on like yeah my 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 natural intelligence and the way that I pick up things and the way that I learn isn't enough to compensate for this deficit that I that I have had for the whole of my life because when we're talking about mental health in general there are so many things that come into play so like you might have like natural like hyper hyperactivity tendencies or like tendencies towards inattention but your upbringing and your environment will have such an impact into how that translates into your everyday life so yeah I'd say it's pr it's pretty complicated interesting so basically if you never really have to exert yourself you may never actually experience ADHD even if you naturally would have it, like if you had to exert yourself, yeah. essentially. Yeah, um, but, but that's not like a blanket thing either, right? So the same way that there are different severities of ADHD, there's also different subsets. So you can, be, um, you can have ADHD inattentive subsets. You could have in a, um, ADHD hyperactive type. Um, and, and you can be more in each of these directions. And so depending on that, you may or may not present with symptoms at different stages of your life. I find that interesting because back to the, the root of this conversation, right? Um, you know, can ADHD be a superpower? Um, the reason why I set that as a topic is actually because a lot of startup founders because of their jobs, naturally develop this sort of ADHD. Even though we say that ADHD can't be developed, it could be that they were pushed to this, right? And we know that there is a higher tendency um, for people who are CEOs to have ADHD, to present with it because of the context switching required. Um, it almost feels like ADHD because at any one given time, you have to do 10 different things. Um, and wanted to, I wanted to kind of get your, your opinions on that in terms of um, how, how that um, pushing yourself to the limit can, can almost cause this ADHD-like effect. Yeah. yeah. 
I think it's interesting because ADHD has been talked about so much in social media currently. And also it's thrown around massively. Yeah. So it's like, if I'm doing a million things at once, or I'm having to juggle all of these things, and I, 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 I'm like, I, I, people would say like, I'm acting ADHD. Yeah. Um, and in reality, that's very far from what the actual condition is. Yeah. I think that we get people who are very high performing presenting with um, symptoms of ADHD. Mm, more because I, I'm not sure, I, I'm, I'm like a bit hesitant towards like talking about adult ADHD with such a like, like with so um, kind of like taking one story for everybody. Yeah. And saying like in, in generalizing, like I'm just, I'm hesitant towards generalizing um, ADHD in that way and saying like startup founders are more likely to have ADHD because there's not a lot of evidence towards that. And ultimately, it, it is a disability, right? Like it, exactly. Even if, even if people talk about it on media, neurodivergence, etc., um, ultimately, it's a disability. And part of that is not being able to perform in your day to day. Yeah. I think in the same way that I'm saying mm. that people might present with it when they first go to university. Mm. For a lot of startup founders, you're very high functioning people. And so actually, you might start to struggle at a start like when you become a founder, not just because yeah. it's really difficult, you might have an underlying thing. And this might have been like, because it was so difficult, yeah. this might be the thing to bring it out of you and realize like, yeah, this, like the way my, my intelligence should, or like my work ethic and my intelligence should be able to carry me through this, but it's not. And what is that? And I think it's, it's important to think and differentiate. Am I looking for a reason why I can't? Or is this just really, really difficult? And yeah. like, would the average person even be able to deal with this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, because, yeah. because when we're talking about significant impairment, it's all a spec, it's all relative. Like yeah. what is significant impairment? And um, we gauge that by activities of daily living. So are you struggling to get out of bed? Are you struggling to do things that you should be like, most people should be able to do if you're struggling to struggle like to balance a company a medical <laughs> degree <laughs> um, yeah. a career in vc and all at the same time yeah. and you're finding that hard that's not necessarily because you have adhd it's just something hard really difficult yeah yeah and and you mentioned um you mentioned those four things so so that's your life currently right <laughs> so you do clicks you're a doctor um you're in vc um, can you talk more about how, you know, you've balanced all those things? And, um, you know, do you, do you see a reflection of this kind of breaking point for you? Um, because I'm guessing for, for most people, uh, most founders, uh, intelligence and work ethic can get you pretty much far in almost every other career, but sometimes with startups, it's not the case, right? Um, and, and that could push people past that limit um, to start being able to not perform um, their, their, their best. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that. Um, there's, I, I think I watched something um, by YC mm. where they kind of like, they related, so, they related being a startup founder to being an like elite sport, like being yeah. in elite sports. I don't know if you've heard about that um, kind of analogy yeah. where it's like, and, it's, and I think it's especially like true being a medic mm. and like, so when you're in academia or you're in a corporate career, yeah. you see the relationship between effort and reward. So if you're an intelligent person with like a, a certain work ethic, yeah. it's, there's 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 correlation there right you put more in you get more out with like elite sports and being an athlete or being a startup founder you have that effort and reward but it only takes you to a ceiling yeah and everything apart from that is like the situation that things that you can't control right yeah you know this like who you talk to at certain points 
is like that that brings you up or like the climate at the time the economic climate there there are so many things and there's a lot of luck involved as well mm. and um it's like yeah it's I don't know why I'm going on this tangent but <laughs> I I know what you mean because yeah. essentially like in every other career you have this input output effect right yeah. um that that gives you that sense of security where it's like i input x i output y right um i know that if i put in this much effort if i deliver this then i get this reward and um that's a very nice thing for us as humans right that's a very nice thing for our brains we're like okay effort dopamine um but when you're when you're in a lead sport or when you're running a startup it's um input and then very variable whether or not you get reward yeah. um and it it forces you to essentially look beyond that short term reward right and we talk about um ADHD i wonder if um a component of why it comes out in these stressful situations is because you you lose that short term reward do you get what i mean yeah. so it turns into i put in effort i don't get the reward i put in effort i still need to you know uh make the process of what i'm doing very good despite not knowing whether or not i get the reward at the end yeah 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 and physiologically that's because of dopamine right mm. so we're not getting the dopamine back from the thing that's yeah. supposed to give it to us yeah this is a really interesting um kind of like avenue of conversation because it kind of brings me back to i don't know if you read the book outliers by malcolm gladwell so and it kind of ties into some other conversations i've had so with the whole effort and reward thing mm. um so outliers is a book that is about this relationship between effort and reward in the book they talk about i i read it a very long time ago so mm-hmm. what i am saying might not be entirely accurate but the effort and reward is seen in children of immigrant parents yeah. so it was exploring kind of like why is it that um children come to this country or are born in this country with very little to immigrant parents mm-hmm. and they they turn out so successful and like in a lot of cases out of proportion to what is expected of them yeah. and it's because they are modeled this um idea of effort and reward as children mm. um and so like they see so one of the examples was um an immigrant mother brought her child over and she worked in the clothing industry yeah. so um the child would kind of see her mother like the more clothes that she sewed every day the more money she would make mm. and so like yes. that's that translated when he went to study and then he got that with startups you're in- entirely right yeah. so like it it helps us to that extent we get to a certain point and then that whole thing goes out the window mm. and um yeah you're right that can make people feel very very anxious and debilitated yeah but that's not necessarily adhd i think it's something that is modeled yeah. to us and has a big impact in getting to that kind of level where we're where we're like a viable founder <laughs> because we've we've done the effort and reward. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we are like we we've got a deficit. It's something that we have to kind of actively think about. And I think therapy is really important in getting through that. So you you think that um rather than the essentially stress of the situation causing ADHD, um it's more that the the lack of effort and reward um that happens is is leading to anxiety and um that can present like ADHD rather than people actually developing it. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that another thing feeding into the anxiety of it all is the fact that you are so used to competing. Mm. So you're so used to like, okay, if I'm in a cohort of really smart people and I'm keeping up with them or I'm doing a bit better than them, I'm fine. I'm great. Yeah. When you're in the startup world, if and it's the same with like elite sports, yeah. If you are competing with the people around you, you like because the the rate of success is so low, if you're looking at the people around you and trying to keep up with them, you'll fail. So, well, you have to compete, right? In a way. I I I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 
I mean, you're competing always in the market and in the product you're building, for sure. And then there's another element of competition where um, it's, it's, I guess, an unsaid truth, which is your company is valued at a very distinct amount, right? You are series C, you are A, you are B, you are C. You are, you are not unicorn, you are, right? And I think in that level, there is this like unspoken um, uh, ranking where it's like you could be in medical school, you're not really competing, but you could be in quartile one, you could be in quartile four, you could be, you could be number one or you could be number 100. Um, and it's not necessarily that you're competing against everyone in your cohort, but you're ranked. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's the difference between being a founder and being at medical school, right? So like, if you, if you rank higher than most people in your cohort, you'll probably get the job that you want. But it's the same. If you, if you, if you rank higher than everyone in your cohort, you're a founder, yeah. you're a unicorn, or you're not, you get, you get but, but, more funding. Yeah, right? but, getting the, but getting there is not that easy, right? So yeah, it's like, yeah, what, yeah. what are the metrics that you're competing against? Mm. Because none of them are, are valid, right? Yeah. You have to be doing something different. You have to be thinking different to become a unicorn because the, yeah. the likelihood that you take your company to IPO is so small that you cannot physically be competing because what are you going to win against? Like you have to be completely different. If yeah. everyone, if you're running a race, like you better be swimming instead of running. Because yeah, exactly. The the likelihood of you winning by running is so small. Like you need to find another way. Exactly. So so it's like we're we're kind of on this ranking system, but there isn't like a defined path of how you rank essentially, how you get to the rank that you want to get to. Yeah, exactly. Like if. Yeah, it's like if, if you're looking at the same, so I'm um, bringing it back to athletes again. If you're looking at people trying to, um, and I think this was something that they were talking about in Outliers as well, but um, if you're running a race and you are so focused on making your time faster by doing the thing that everybody else is doing. So like if that's like, for example, yeah. like looking at your reaction time when you start the race, everyone's trying to minimize their reaction time when they start the race. And there's only so much that you can go with that. If you do that successfully, you might win by like a small, a small amount. Yeah. But if you think about like how, what else could I do? Let's, let's just because everybody else is focusing on the reaction time when I start, first start the race. If I look at like something else completely different, you're more likely to succeed doing that than you are trying to maximize on that tiny aspect that everybody else is trying to maximize on because you're, because everybody else is trying to do it. Right. Yeah. So in terms of this kind of adult ADHD, um, it seems like what you're saying is that it's very unlikely that all these people have ADHD. It could just be that, um, you know, they're stressed essentially from, from this process of having to run a startup. Mm. Yeah. But um, then I guess my next question would be, you know, you're working on um, VC medical school, this startup, um, why did you decide to go with ADHD? Because I guess my initial thoughts on that was that you'd probably come here with some story about how you have ADHD and you managed to do three things at the same time, but um, you probably have a different reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it started off with what you're saying, right? So it's yeah. like I went through medical school I was in my third year yeah I did computer science in my third year mm -hmm. at UCL yeah um which is entirely different to medicine and in incredibly overwhelming and around that time I think other people on my cohort also kind of felt that pressure yeah and um a, a lot of people around me started like a significant number of people around me started saying like I think I have ADHD like I'm really really mm. struggling um and that's like myself included. So, yeah. and then it comes down the line of thinking of like, do I have it? Could I qualify? Yeah. And then going through that process and then learning what that process of getting a diagnosis is like and what the, and weighing up, what are the benefits and the drawbacks of getting a diagnosis? Mm. Um, so one of my friends went through with it um, and he, he was really struggling and he um, really did feel that he 
had had symptoms for a yeah. very long time, like going into childhood. Um, the waiting time for an assessment for him, he was quoted seven years. Wow. Um, on the NHS, which was just not a viable option. He needed the extra time um, and, and the learning support from uni. Um, and he he felt that it would it was really important for me. I kind of watched along the journey, and I and I and I saw a lot of the questionnaires that he was doing, and I like followed his journey about what what the interviews that he had to do were. Um, and I and I did feel like it seemed to me that it would be very easy to get a diagnosis. Mm. I I identified with a lot of the questions that usually come up on the questionnaires. Mm. So for for my co-founder and I, it kind of came from a place of why why does it seem like because there's a, it's not just me that feels that right yeah so there's people all over the internet and social media at the moment thinking like do I have ADHD or do I not should I get a diagnosis or being newly you have diagnosed to wait seven years exactly yeah so is it worth it and also mm. how much is the diagnosis actually worth. Yeah. What does it add to my life? Do would I would I get medicated if I were to be diagnosed? Yeah. Um would would the education support available be helpful to me? Mm. Um I think if you're waiting 7 years and and the alternative the m- most people will not be waiting 7 I mean everybody that I think feels a diagnosis would be necessary, I think the majority of people that I've spoken to have gone through the private system. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody. Um, I, I know a few parents that have gone through the NHS, mm. but it's I, I don't know anybody with adult ADHD that has gone through the NHS. I guess it's just not seen as something that is life-threatening, and therefore NHS kind of backlogs it. I don't think... It's not because it's not seen as life-threatening. It's because there are so many people on the waiting list. Interesting. So even if it was, yeah, it still wouldn't... Like, it would still take as long. Um, even general CAMS appointments, because you'd have to go... If you were yeah. getting a referral from a GP, you would, be, you would have to go through CAMS. There's no, like, specific ADHD diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess that, that is um, something that is a bit unique to the UK system, but it's probably global that quite a few people are wondering, do I have ADHD or not? Um, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about the, um, could this diagnosis even benefit me component of that? Because when we look at the current treatments available for ADHD, um, they kind of suck right? Um, Like right now we give um, like a lot of kids um, essentially like low grade amphetamines, like mild amphetamines to essentially manage their ADHD. And like, yeah, I think medication, and this is something that, that a lot of parents that we've spoken to struggle with. Yeah. And that puts them off looking getting a diagnosis of ADHD because medicating a child is something that is incredibly serious Mm. well medicating anybody is um like you're looking at side effects and all sorts of things that you can't predict yeah like you can't predict the benefits of or or the drawbacks like what is the net what is the Mm. net result going to be if you if you put someone on um medication and that's why getting a diagnosis is so important and an accurate one. Um, I, I don't know if you um, have seen the panorama, uh, you haven't seen the panorama episode, but um, it came out and it was, it was like talked about a lot um, about how, and, and this is something that we've seen when doing our like market research as well, is that in private clinics, from my experience as well, talking to clinicians, yeah. we're talking about 80, 90% of the patients that come through are diagnosed as positive. Okay. And so there's not a lot of data about, because they're not corroborated diagnosis, right? So we don't know um, why that is specifically. A lot of the anecdotal things that clinicians say is, if people are willing to pay that much for a diagnosis, they're pretty sure that they're kid or they have it. Yeah. Um, but that also feeds into are we over-medicating people? Yeah. Um, which is why the 
what we're trying to work on and providing weight to an ADHD diagnosis is really important. I mean, it's super biased, right? Because I could literally think I have ADHD. I go in to see a psychiatrist or whoever, and I just say, I think I have ADHD. And, and basically in, in 80 to 90% of the cases, the physician will just agree with me. In private clinics, yeah. In private clinics. But you're saying most of the times it is diagnosed in a private clinic, right? Because um, of the, because of the uh, long waiting times in public health care systems, most of the times we are seeing individuals go to private clinics. And in those cases, most of the times they are just diagnosed with whatever they say they have because you as like a private patient paying for this service uh, you don't want to go into a, into seeing a doctor saying you have something and them saying you don't have it. Yeah, I think it's important to note that that is the case. Why it is the case is up for debate. We well, don't know. It's exactly. qualitative, right? You're saying yeah. that in this diagnosis currently, um, what happens is you get asked a series of questions. Yeah. And it's very easy when you're asked a series of questions, A, for the question to bias your answer, and then B, to assume something at the end of it. Yeah, but it's when a clinician makes that decision, mm. they have to use their clinical judgment. So that's why it can't just be a questionnaire, like a set of questions, and yeah. then yes, no. Like the, the importance of having a clinician involved is that they have to use their judgment. They have to explore each mm. like each aspect of the question. They have to like go into like your childhood. They have to go into what, what your behavior is like if you're a child at school mm. um, currently or what your behavior is, is like at work or in your relationships. So it's not that it's not that easy as the clinician turns up and asks 30 questions. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a clinical judgment, it's an analysis. And I think with the with the growth of remote medicine, and now we're seeing in um, it's not only remote medicine in in yeah. in like health in general. We're looking at remote medicine in mental health. Yeah. So we're seeing companies um, like Psychiatry UK or um, private clinicians who are independent practitioners giving d diagnoses via Zoom. Mm. So having Zoom consultations, um, and 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 I think from the Panorama episode we saw that these consultations aren't as lengthy as the NHS ones. So they kind of, in that episode, they kind of compared NHS versus um, private clinics. Yeah. And one of, I think one of the, he went undercover and he did um, a consultation in a private clinic and his um, appointment was 45 minutes long. And after that, he got a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, is that enough time to get a really in-depth view of somebody's life? Yeah. I don't know. But... Currently, in the NICE guidelines, which is what clinicians have to use before they give a formal diagnosis, um, there's nothing to say about the length of time. We don't know that that's a factor, but I do think if you're going to give a diagnosis remotely, there needs to be, like, the more information we can give to clinicians mm. to make that decision, the better, right? And the more likely we are to get towards a more accurate diagnosis. And, and let's talk about the impact of overdiagnosis and overmedication for ADHD, right? What do we know about, um, you know, the long-term use of amphetamines to, to manage ADHD? Why is it bad? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily bad. It's like there's, there's benefits and risks to everything. Mm. Um, a lot of the anecdotal evidence of the, especially the kids, that we've spoken to. Um, parents are incredibly hesitant to put their child on mm. medication. But once they do, I think well, there's been some uh, parents that we've spoken to who've just talked about how their child went from failing in most of their subjects to being at the top of their class, to leading yeah. like one of the kids we spoke to, he's like 12 now, I think. And he has like spoken at the House of Lords oh, on... Wow. on, on um, on like an engineering project that he did. He's 12. Like, and before that he was failing in most subjects and mm. he was suffering with behavioral difficulties. So medication is not always bad. I think the public in general have a negative view on, on, on long-term medication. Um, like we see it in everything, right? So if we could talk about like hypertension, for example, high blood pressure, mm. it's all about making sure people are informed. Um, the risks 
like the same thing, like, like it's like compliance with medication is inc incredibly important. With high blood pressure, if you don't take a medication, it can have really, really detrimental impacts to your life. Yeah. And it's the same with um, medication for, for mental health. Um, there, but, are other, mm. there are other things you can do to support, but I think yeah. medication can have really, really good impacts if it's used correctly. Yes. But here's the thing, right? Because we've heard stories like, you know, this this child who can now speak at the House of Lords. Uh, I think I think often ADHD medication like Ritalin or Adderall are seen as. Um, have you watched the Limitless movie where he has this pill? He takes this pill, and now he's suddenly like amazing, like like superhuman, like speed of thinking, right? I think a lot of the times, because of these stories we hear in patients who actually have ADHD, um, in general, people become, you know, into this idea of taking Ritalin or Adderall to improve their performance, like Limitless, um, and so then uh, they they self diagnose themselves with ADHD to get the prescription. Yeah. And and I don't know if then that becomes an issue here. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we're so the, there's a long list of side effects mm. for medications like Ritalin and Adderall. Mm. Um and these will present differently in patients in general. Um, I I think that it's it's if you give Adderall or Ritalin to somebody that doesn't have ADHD long term, or even if you give it to somebody who does, um, and you don't titrate it properly, so you don't ha you don't maximize the like you don't get the get the right the dosing right, mm -hmm. you 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 can have like so many adverse effects yeah. on your behavior on your moods. Um, so many things because it, it is a drug like at the end of the day and it it's it doesn't have it, it's not like it won't have a really specific this will happen to you if you take it and you don't have ADHD yeah. it's different for everybody because physiologically we're also different and we respond to things differently so I think yeah it's 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 just clearly not good to give somebody medication when they don't need it. And it's yeah. also not good to give them the wrong dose. And that will, that's what will happen if people self-prescribe, right? I see. Um, and so with clicks, is that essentially taking how we currently do diagnoses for ADHD and just making that digital? Or are you actually changing the way that we diagnose ADHD? Yeah. So what we're trying to do to begin with, is give clinicians more information. Mm -hmm. So, and if we can do that in a quantitative way, that's our aim. So there are certain, and, and that might not necessarily be like positive diagnosis or negative diagnosis. Yeah, It might be correlating with impairment. So can we give you more information about what type of ADHD this person has? Or like how it might correlate to what, what difficulties they, that they, they might present with in their life. Um, so one aspect of ADHD diagnosis that um, occurs in the NHS mostly is, and in the States a lot they use it, is uh, CPT. Um, so that's quantitative testing to give you information on, on each of these parameters. So we're talking about, so it's things like reaction time. It tests your reaction time or emission commission accuracy. So nine times out of 10, if, I, if there's a dot on the screen and I tell you don't click the dot, <laughs> how many times do you actually click it when I've told you not to click it? Um, and then the opposite, and then also reaction time. Um, and at the moment, that is a really expensive thing for clinics to record. Mm. And there's not a lot of incentive for clinics to record that data because it's not required by the NICE guidelines. So legally... Um, to give a diagnosis, private clinicians don't have to record that data. Um, one of the one of the methods that you use to test it costs eleven thousand um, pounds, and so for an individual practitioner to use that, it's 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 just not feasible because it doesn't yeah it doesn't maximise, and you've got to remember that private clinics are businesses, and so if they don't need to do it legally and 
it doesn't necessarily help clinicians get to a diagnosis, then they, they might not use it. Yeah. Um, so so we're, we're trying to utilize the fact that that's available um, and use machine learning um, and predictive models to maximize the results of those tests. And to make it more accessible. Yeah, exactly. So we, our main kind of, we, we want to make sure that it's accessible for a website or a phone um, and we collect the data longitudinally. So we want to be able to track changes over time. Um, yeah, we want a we the core of what we're doing is we want a very data driven approach, um, in, instead of adding more qualitative data. We're not trying to replace the clinicians' judgment. Yeah, just give them more information so that they can uh, make the correct diagnoses. And then also, I guess like depending on the type of ADHD that would also moderate the medication or treatment provided. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think if we think about private um, diagnosis, mm. a reason that it can be so expensive and a better diagnosis will be more expensive is because it will take more time. And that time is required so that the doctor can make their clinical drug, or, or it, you know, it doesn't have to be a doctor that's making diagnosis. Yeah. Um, it can be any, by the NICE guidelines, it's anybody with the relevant experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it categorizes that in a number of ways. Um, just to summarize, um, CPT is currently a quantitative test used. Um, and it costs around 11,000 pounds to actually accurately diagnose ADHD. And the problem is um, the high costs mean that there are huge barriers to access for um, not just the UK, but other countries, developing countries, and the um, volume of patients that need to be diagnosed and to, to be medicated properly. Um, and so essentially what you're doing is turning um, this existing diagnostic tool into something that is accessible, something that is cheaper with machine learning and um, that more people can access and more clinicians can use to inform their decision making. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, not necessarily just for diagnosis, mm. but to give us more information in general, right? And, and you're also in included VC, right? Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on neurodivergence and um, how we can include founders with neurodivergent behavior. Because again, this topic was about, can ADHD be a superpower? Um, yes, I think it is, uh, as you said, a disability, right? Ultimately, it um, characterizes itself in your non-ability to perform. But are there other um, areas where you see neurodivergence, um, you know, actually can act as a superpower in a startup yeah um so i think so one of the things that does happen um with adhd is the ability to hyperfocus. um patients kind of report being able to concentrate so once they get into the flow of something they really focus on the details of those things um and they're able to do that for a prolonged period of time um, it's as with all like neurodivergent conditions, yeah. it's a different way of thinking and it's a different way of viewing the world. And so when I was talking earlier about mm. not competing, yeah. like that, if, if you do have this different view of the world, you cannot compete because if you were to compete and do everything as everybody else was doing, you would lose. So if you, like that perspective is, it, it, it can really, really be a benefit. Um, because it forces you to think differently about the world. Yeah, and because you get so used to um, having to find other ways around it. And I think that is so true for all disabilities. Startups, yeah. I mean, disabilities mm. and startups. So, um, my mom is disabled. Yeah. Um, and that comes with a lot of challenges. Yeah. And so you can't compete because you 
have to spend a lot of your time taking care of somebody else mm. or she can't compete because and she struggled with getting um work for a long time yeah. in the UK um and with challenges like that because you can't compete because you don't have the same starting point as everybody else yeah. you find another way and that kind of gets you away from the effort to reward because no matter what she does she can put the same effort in she will not get the same reward and mm. so she has to think of a different way around and that interesting seeing that and being modeled that prepares you for being a founder i think because you've just accepted that like effort and reward isn't a thing i like that um and just to move forward into your journey with clicks Can you um tell me what the number one thing uh you would recommend someone doing if they they want to be a health tech CEO and um what's an story or example you can share behind that Okay I have actually I think um being a founder whilst being a student and especially a medical student is incredibly isolating at medical school. And um so we talk about being like not doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. That is so true in medicine because although we might see in the media like this person was a medical student or this person was a doctor and now they're like trying to become a founder mm. and that's increasing because of how the NHS is going and things are on pay and like we work so hard um and we don't get compensated so the founder lifestyle isn't actually that um unappealing <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like with with um people who are like highly qualified in other careers and have like roots into corporate careers where they could be getting paid good money to do less hours that isn't even an option for us because if we go through medical school and become doctors we will be putting in those hours anyway yeah. so being a founder isn't as scary as it is to other people we're not giving up as much um we're giving up stability that's for sure and other things but in in that sense i think it's 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 easier to kind of think about it tangibly but even though we hear about it in reality at medical school people who will be thinking like you and that will actually take the step the first yeah. step to do something or put themselves out there is like completely unheard of um my cohort is 350 yeah um nobody understands why i'm doing this <laughs> so is your number one thing to do is that like if you find that other person who gets you like stick with them 100% but mm. also don't wait for that person. Don't wait for them. I think and and I've had this conversation with a lot of founders of do you need a co-founder? Mm. How do you find a co-founder? And I know that um EF is very strong on you need yeah. a co-founder that complements you otherwise you'll give up. And a lot of founders share that belief. Yeah. Um I think that although it's hard if you want to do it you just do it and some like somewhere along your way you'll find the people you'll attract right and you will not when you start you will have absolutely nothing and as soon as you start putting yourself out there people will approach you um and if you never put yourself out there no one's going to approach you and yeah you have absolutely nothing to lose and i think people often kind of hyperinflate in their heads especially medical students where time is such a important thing for us mm. um if i if i do this and it fails then like i've lost the time that i could have been using to do really well in my degree which and they, is they kind of factor out the learning component of it exactly mm. because the learning component is not tangible yeah so the things that you learn along the way or the conversations that you have or the people that you meet Mm. They don't translate into a grade or a certificate. Yeah. <laughs> into a gold sticker. Exactly. Yeah. And like in a lot of cases they don't even translate onto your CV. How do you put that on your CV? <laughs> you know. I see. Yeah. I I think that makes sense. So so I guess the number one thing to do is just to go for it, you know. Um whether or not you you find that other person, whether it is going to be isolating or not, whether you get the certificate or not, um just do it to learn 100% and i think what i would say to someone starting out now is really and i know everybody says this like said been said to death but 
start with your problem that you're trying to mm. solve. Really, really understand your problem because your solution might not work, but if you still have your problem, you kind of, that gives you a direction by proxy. Yeah. If you start with a solution, you are going to be so lost if it doesn't work because you're never going to reach your like product market fit mm. because it's not centered around the market which is the people that you're trying to to help yeah and then um on the on the flip side what is the number one thing not to do and can you give an example of of something that's happened or a story okay i have so many <laughs> there are so many things yeah. and i think if you as soon as you put yourself out there you, the yeah. first thing you will do when you put yourself out there is you will make a mistake mm. that's the first thing you will do and then you'll learn how to fix your mistake and then you'll do that over and over again Yeah, so things not to do. Don't start with your solution. Yeah. And um, we were so focused on CPT because we knew that this was a problem. Yeah. That we didn't look at the magnitude of solution because how can you look at the magnitude of a solution without looking at the problem, right? Mm. So we had this really great technology and we were so excited by that that um we kind of got lost on our problem. Um and then and then you have to start again. But But I think that teaches you something as well because you get really used to being like, okay, cool, no, this isn't working. Mm. Let's go back. And you have to be really like strong on that and really certain because if you keep pushing in direction that you're unsure of, you you'll just go further towards the wrong direction. Like you have to be constantly reassessing. It's kind of interesting because it's similar to medicine. So when we're doing like our emergency algorithm where we're going through yeah. someone's like airway breathing circulation we at every stage we do the tests we check the signs and then we reassess we go back and we say did we actually make impact are we going in the right direction and then you and then you move on only if you've reassessed at every point so so that kind of finding the product market fit is similar to the assessment in medicine yeah i think so And um finally um what is the number one impact you want to leave on the world with clicks I just want people to have more access to mental health care treatment and diagnosis So I I also think if we can find a way that is easier to give this to people because not everybody has that much money to get a diagnosis in the first place. Yeah. And also not as in the 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 repercussions for getting a diagnosis that isn't accurate mm. or being on medication that they don't need is massive. And I think that people shouldn't have to go into it with so much risk because that yeah. puts them off going and getting a diagnosis even more. So whether you whether you think you have it or not you should have the ability to confirm and have kind of that you you need to be able to have that validation in yourself like i know that i do and or i don't don't have it and i know the things that i can do to improve my life um and that's what i want to see for mental health in general